first time I heard you whisper, I'd never heard anything so beautiful. Follow me, you said, and I immediately did. I saw your prayer, how you were constantly abiding in the Father, seeking solitude, seeking his face, and from that rest came tangible love. Then I saw what I was following you into, the beautiful discomfort of washing a man with dirty feet, a servant's task, and yet you, the Messiah, stoop to the level of serving humanity. Follow me, watching you teach and feed and care for even the littlest of children, those who are left out, forgotten, abandoned, sick and weak, could always count on your love and on mine, since I will always follow you. great to see you this morning and I uh, hope you had a great week this week. Kind of get a little spring fever, aren't we? Uh, things are starting to blossom and uh, new life is in the air. It's uh, a great season uh, to be part of. So glad you guys are here today. We're going to take a journey uh, through the Gospels. We're going to be starting in, in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, spend uh, time in a few different places, different locations today as we continue our series uh, we've called Follow Me and so if you want to begin to turn there in a moment, the ushers are going to come back, offer a Bible if you'd like to use one of those today. Could I just reinforce a couple of things Emily talked about? Tonight's Get in the Game. Uh, uh, we talk about child care, but also there's dinner available, all right? So that's between five and eight. Real important, uh, this, is a, this is what we encourage you strategically to take the first step to get connected to North Shore. So if you've been coming the past several weeks and kind of wonder, what do I do next? You know, that's the one. I teach the 101 class and look forward to that to share with you about our dreams and our visions and just kind of taking a deeper dive into who we are as a church and what you can expect uh, as you connect with us as a church family. Uh, so that'll be at five o'clock, and uh, just it's not too late to sign up. You can do it on your app, or you can go out in the lobby afterwards and talk to one of the guys out there, and they'll uh, get you connected. Uh, also, uh, this prayer gathering uh, Tuesday night, uh, we've been trying to do this with more frequency uh, this season. Uh, you may notice that, uh, because this is an important time uh, in the life of North Shore. Uh, we try to give you updates, particularly in the area of the transition and things like that, but those, those times we gather at the prayer gathering, I can take a little deeper dive into how we can pray, what we need to be praying for. Our leaders are available there. We don't do business meetings here at North Shore. Maybe you've noticed that. Um, you know, so, so these are the times that I like to inform you of deeper things that are going on. So in addition to that, there's uh, three or four areas I uh, just want you to be aware of that, that, uh, that are happening here that we're looking forward to in the future, and then we can pray about those together, okay? So I hope you'll join us. I hope that's a priority for you to join us on Tuesday at 7 and, uh, and just take these things before the Lord. Well, we're going to uh, continue a series. We, uh, we started three weeks ago, and what we're trying to do is to live with these first century disciples, try to place ourselves in in their position, you know, Peter and James and John and Andrew and, and the guys that were called out to follow Jesus. He still sends that same invitation, follow me. In fact, you know, here at North Shore, it's, it's really the premise of what we do when we call making disciples. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that call goes out to you and me as well. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're striving our best to have our eyes on Jesus and to, to follow his commands and to carry out what he's called us to do. 
So what we're doing is we're going back and revisiting those first century disciples and saying, what would it have been like to be with Jesus? Because that's what he's essentially asking them. Go with me. Don't Don't just listen to me. Now the teaching is important, and I do not want to minimize the teaching of Jesus because uh, that was kind of the, the understanding of what it was he was calling us to. But discipling and coming alongside to follow Jesus meant more than just getting information, didn't it? It was about transformation. The only way a person can be transformed is by being with that person for an extended period of time. And these disciples went with him for about a three year period. And so not only did they hear some great teaching, a couple of weeks ago Pastor Scott was sharing with us about the Sermon on the Mount and how that kind of sums up the body of the teaching of Christ that we want to uh, you know, kind of enfold. But these guys were taken to some amazing places and into uh, unbelievable, even impossible circumstances like we looked at last week. And if you were with us last week, we were kind of wrapping ourselves around that theme of the impossible and how Jesus was challenging them in those moments. Do you really believe? Now, my understanding is faith is such a fundamental premise of what Jesus wanted to impress upon these guys that they were gonna reproduce into future generations, right? It was all about faith. So many of the lessons at the end of them, he would assess them on the basis of their faith, whether they had it or whether they didn't have it. And so, uh, that priority, I think, warranted looking, oh, this is almost kind of like a, a two-part message, first part last week, and this is building on what we were talking about last week, and if you have your notes in front of you, here, here's kind of a summa- summation of the, the priority that faith really is. The Hebrew writer in verse, or chapter 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the underlying premise of what Jesus was trying to shape these guys and these disciples, and consequently, I think this is our priority, is to really center in on this subject of faith. So here's what I'm gonna ask you today. We're gonna go, we're gonna go several little places together, all right? We're gonna travel down this road together, but here's what I'm asking you. I want you to place yourself personally and ask yourself, how is my faith doing? What is my faith quotient? If I was evaluated or assessed on my measure of faith, what would the Lord say to me? Okay, start with yourself. The second thing I want you to consider is if you are, are growing in your walk with the Lord and now you've got to the place where you're starting to think about or, or even applying or practicing, beginning to invest in other people's lives as a disciple maker, how often do you find yourself challenging those who you're influencing to a greater faith. Would you know how to do that? If they're looking at you and they're watching you, how often would you test or challenge their level of faith like Jesus did to his first disciples? You you with me? And so think about both of those contexts this morning. And what I wanted to do is kind of like last week, I wanna take you to several places, three different stories uh, to illustrate this thing about faith and, and a, kind of a, an assumption that I have. And I'll, I'll just throw it out to you. Do you believe that faith is just a one and done thing? You either have it or you don't, or do you think there are various measures of faith, levels of faith? Okay, starting there, that's where we're gonna go in these stories. Before we go there, let's pray, let's ask for the Lord's help, and uh, hopefully he'll illuminate things for us today. 
Father, we do bow before you, and we know that this is very close to your heart. We, when we watch Jesus and his ministry, um, we know so many of the things he did was to try to, to grow that faith in the disciples that you entrusted to him. And we are those disciples, Lord. We are those disciples today. And so we know that this is important to you. Even as we just read, this is of, of, of the highest importance to you because without it, we can't please you. So I pray, Lord, that as you speak to us about our own faith, would you clarify some things for us? Will you minister to us, uh, especially maybe some of us who have been jolted by disappointments or by setbacks or by obstacles, by experiences, Lord, that have, that have sometimes had detrimental impact on our faith? Today, might, might you just clarify some things and call us to higher ground than we've ever known. So I trust you for this today, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You got some notes that you got on the way in, and if you want to kind of follow along some of the, uh, the accounts and the, the references I'm going to be looking at, the first place I wanted to take you was Matthew chapter 8. Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we visited this place last week, by the way, but I wanted to just lift out one aspect of it. This is the occasion when, uh, when they got, the disciples and Jesus got in the boat and they were going across uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, apparently, there arose a, a great storm so that the boat was being swamped by the waves as he was asleep. And, and the guys saw, you know, that they, they thought they were going to drown. They thought the boat was going to be overwhelmed and they were all going to sink. And Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. And so they wake him up. And the first thing Jesus says is, Oh, you of little faith. So the place I want to take you first is to the disciples. And, and the, 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 the way their faith was assessed more often than not was little faith. In fact, I counted seven times in the, in the, uh, in the New Testament, they are described as little faith. I think it was their nickname you know, it was, it was kind of the something. They were called that more often than not that they started kind of believing it. And, oh, man, well, we don't have much faith. At least that's what Jesus thinks. Uh, you know, so, so he says, oh, you of little faith. And then it says he arose, and, of course, he rebuked the winds, and there, there came, became a calm. This wasn't the only place. Um, another story we talked about last week. Uh, again, we were talking about the impossible last week, and we looked at the father who brought his son who was just being thrown about you know, by fits. We have names for that today, but they called it demon possession back then. And he would come on the ground and become stiff and rigid and, and try to destroy himself, all these kind of crazy things. And the, guy, the father brought him to the disciples hoping that they would heal him. Well, they couldn't do it. And they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus uh, looked at it, and of course he challenged the father, and that's where the father said, I believe, help my unbelief. But what I found interesting, it says in verse 19 of chapter 17 of Matthew, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your, what does it say? Little faith. There you go again. It was because of your little faith. For truly I say, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's an interesting statement. A grain of a mustard seed. 
Some of us know that that's one of the smallest seeds that's out there. In fact, if you have a grain of mustard seed on your hand, you could barely even notice it was there. You barely see it. It's like a grain of sand. Very, very small. And as I read that, and as I have read that over the years, I've kind of assumed that Jesus, and you may not know this about uh, the Hebrew language and their manners and things like that, but uh, humor to, to the Jew was a, a, an extravagant contrast of one thing against another, like the camel that would go through the eye of a needle, you know, that type of thing. They, they would laugh and laugh, you know, because he was drawing this card. This may have been one of those occasions that he's saying the, the smallest of faith can make this mountain move. That, that's what we're talking about. And, 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 I think you could almost develop a case where Jesus is saying, and this is a quote that I got in your note, it's not so much about the amount as it is that you just have some at all. Because he's trying to minimize that to such a degree, saying it doesn't, it doesn't take much, it just takes some. It takes some faith. And even the stories, if you were with us last week, you notice there were various levels of faith that were exercised, but Jesus worked in, in them all, right? He, he responded to each one of them. Now he did tell us that there were towns and villages where he would go and because of the culture and because of the the climate that was there that was not faith-filled, he wasn't able to do anything. So there is some merit to say it has something to do with the climate that's there. Another story we talked about last week, Jairus' daughter who had died, and you remember the mourners who laughed at him thinking he didn't know what he was talking about? Well, when he went into the room, to raise her from the dead, what did he do? He sent all those mourners out. And Peter and John and James were the only ones allowed to come in, okay, to watch and to see and to, to take in what was gonna happen as a disciple. I find it interesting, by the way, just a footnote. In Acts chapter nine, now Jesus has gone back to the Father, the Holy Spirit's come down, the church is now expanding. Peter now, in the, in the Holy Spirit, is over on the coast at a little town called Joppa, and a, and a dear sister in a church in Joppa has died. Her name was Tabitha, or otherwise known as Dorcas. And if you read the story in Acts chapter nine carefully, it's interesting because they invited Peter to come into that situation, and when he got there, they all began, all the ladies were weeping because they, they, they lost their dear sister, and they're telling him about all these beautiful things she did, this, these loving things, the things she made, the handiwork that she did for people, and, and the Bible says that Peter said, you guys need to all leave right now. Because now they had already settled into to what was, but God was about to do something even greater. And he said, you guys need to leave. So the, the, the environment does matter. And the amount of faith, I think, I think is a factor. These guys repeatedly were called little faith. By the way, uh, this week, my friend uh, Steve Altmeyer who's the founder of our, our uh, chosen to lead our CTL men's ministry, uh, dear friend, known him for over 35 years. Um, when he comes over, which he did this week, he usually stays with us. So we, we got into a conversation. I was so, so blessed that he was able to go to Israel with us this last trip. He'd never been there. And he's taught the word for years and years, and he was able to go and see these things uh, firsthand with his wife, Kathy. So I asked Steve Wednesday night, I said, I said, what, what were some of the things that really made an impact on you? You know, that you're, you're just not gonna forget. And he, he brought out this one. He said, when we were up on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, we, we call it the Mount of Beatitudes, you know, and, and there's a church there, and, and we usually give some time for reflection. He said, I was looking across the hills, 
And these mountains the, the, you know, around the sea, they were all covered in yellow. They were all almost solid yellow from mustard. And he said, when I saw that, and then I heard those words of Jesus when he said, if you just had the faith like the mustard seed, he said, all I could think of is I looked at the, the prolific amount of yellow and the mustard over these mountains. To me, it was almost as if he was saying when, when the hills, when, when these mountains are saturated with faith, nothing is impossible. That mountain can move from here to here when you've got that kind of faith because the, the ones that listened would have seen the very things Jesus was talking about. He would have pointed to that mountain over there and it's just covered with yellow. And I thought, does the amount of faith matter? These guys were little faith, all right? That's the first story. Second one. The guys take a, a trip, and I want you to turn to Matthew 15, just a few pages to the right, if you would. Matthew 15, verse 21. Here's how it goes. Jesus went away from there, and we withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, if you can picture a, a, a map, Israel, north of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea, going up into what we would call Lebanon today, about 30 miles north of the Israeli border, this is where Tyre and Sidon, these two cities, would have been. Okay? This was not Jewish country. This was not Israel. They went outside of Israel. It's the only time we read about uh, Jesus taking them to this, uh, a place like that. It was pagan. It, they call it Syrophoenician. But there's a reason why they identify this woman they encounter as a Canaanite. This would have been the original Canaanites that the Israelites came to conquer. So they were still locked into their Baal worship and all this other uh, idolatry and everything. This is a place a Jew would not go. And it says Jesus took them there. Watch what happens. A Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Isn't it interesting? Her, his reputation had gone before him. She knew who he was. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Do you get the heart of the disciples? They wanted nothing to do with this Canaanite woman. She was kind of anathema, you know? We don't, we don't associate and Jesus, I'm sure that that's your heart and your attitude, right? Well, no. And maybe that's why he took them into that region, is to show that the heart of God was for the world, not just, not just for this small little group, okay? By the way, do you remember a number of months ago when we walked through the, the life of Elijah and that Elijah actually went to that very same area, the widow of Zarephath? Does that ring a bell? She, she was a... Syrophoenician, like that. She, from that very area, Sidon, and that's where he raised her son from the dead. And you know the story in the life of Elijah was a huge factor in the life of these disciples and what they're watching and learning about Jesus. And I think that had something to do also with why Jesus took them there, because they would have known that story. And often Jesus was likened to Elijah because he was the most preeminent of all the prophets. Well, he takes him there. This woman cries out. Well, he, didn't, he doesn't immediately respond to this. He answers her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That, that's, where, that's what his goal is. But she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. 
And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I know that sounds kind of like a rude statement, doesn't it? They would have understood exactly what you were referring to because of the discrepancy between the Jews and and this pagan over here, this, this, this Canaanite woman. Well, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. And I just share that story to to lift out. Here's somebody he assesses and evaluates her faith. Her faith was great faith. She understood she was an outsider. She understood she did not deserve this And yet Jesus responds to her and he says, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed immediately. Okay? And so, you know, there's an example of great. So the disciples are little faith. The Canaanite woman's is a great faith. Now watch this third story. There's a Roman soldier that lives in the area of Capernaum. And uh, if you want to turn there, look at Luke uh, chapter 7. Okay? I'm not going to belabor too many places around but but you might want to turn to this one and in chapter one or chapter seven verse one after he finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people he entered Capernaum that was kind of like his hometown the little village on the north of of Galilee and now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal the servant. I want you to pick this up. You might read into that that he's arrogant, that he's, he's too good to come to Jesus. And it was actually just the opposite, as we're gonna read read on. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent some friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not even presume to come to you. Isn't that interesting? And I hope you're getting this picture. A Roman centurion literally was hated by these Jews. Probably the closer you got to Jerusalem, the more volatile it was. This guy apparently, in these guys' eyes, he was an okay guy, but he was still a Roman. Jews did not associate. They would not eat. They would not go in their home. They wouldn't have anything to do with them, and he knew that, and in fact, he respected that. But the need was over here, and so he sends his servants to go see Jesus. Would Jesus, would you come? And would you, would you minister to my servant? And then he describes and he says, I too am a man under authority. He says, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does that. And then watch this, verse nine. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I would call this the greatest faith. This 
This was, this was kind of the preeminent faith example that he could give. And why was it? Because he believed just that the word of Jesus, the power in the word of Jesus would, would have uh, the effect that he was desiring, that he would heal his servant. And so as I see these, these layout, you know, when I go tire shopping, you know, and I've got so much money in my wallet to buy a tire, and I'm looking at the tires and I'm assessing, and here's a tire over here that says, that's going to be good for 20,000 miles. You know, and then I see one over here and it says, now, now, you, know, you want a little better one? Here's one 40,000 miles. But if you want the best over here, it'll go for 65,000 miles. But you know what? You're going to pay for it. There's, there's, like, there's like good and better and best. And you're measuring these. And, and when I read these stories, I thought, that's kind of where these faith are. The disciples had a little bit of faith, but... The, this other woman had great faith, but this guy, he had the greatest faith. And I just want to, I want to point out something that I observed. Do you notice the connection between humility and the measure of faith that they exercised? Okay, the disciples grew up in Judaism. They probably knew the first part of the Bible. That's what they studied when they were little kids. They knew the stories. They knew what God's activity was. They knew all that, but they had little faith. The Canaanite woman, she was a pagan, but yet she knew about the Son of God. And yet her humility said, I know I don't deserve it, but Lord, help me, help me. And her humility brought that before the Lord. The Roman the Romans said, you know what? I don't even deserve for you to respond to me, to come into my house. Would you, would you work in, in, in my servant's life? And Jesus says, that's the greatest faith I've seen. Do you begin to see the, the line drawn there? Interesting verse. Brother uh, brought this to me last night, and I, I didn't even make the connection, but Romans 12, 3. Most of us know 1 and 2, you know, about to be conformed to the will of God and all of that. Romans 3 says, Paul says, he says, by the grace that has been given me, I tell you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but only according to the measure of faith that you have been given. Is that not interesting, how he relates humility with that measure of faith? And this leads me to this conclusion. You know what perhaps is the greatest enemy of our faith? It's religion. It's those who, who know. It's those who think that they, they've got it all together. Maybe they've got experience. Maybe they've seen God even work in the past in such ways, and they can recount that. They, they know so much, but sometimes that knowledge, sometimes, sometimes that awareness, even as the Jews, because was it not the Jews who gave Jesus the hardest time? They should have known better. And yet they were the enemies of that very faith. And here it is, two of these stories, they're pagans. These, these are what, so, folks that are outside. And they're the ones that Jesus is elevating that faith. I think this is interesting. And, and probably if you're like me, I ask the question, okay, Lord, I know that this is a priority for you. We can't please you without it. I'm beginning to believe that there are measures of faith or variations of, of the level of faith what if I want greater faith? What if that was your desire today, to have greater faith than what you presently have? How would you go about acquiring that? Jesus, I would say, when you were with these disciples, 
and you were taking them to these various amazing moments and these experiences, and you would, you would kind of judge them or evaluate them or assess them. Your faith was greater, your faith was not. They're watching all this. What was it like in your life with them? Uh, what was the premise? What, what, what were they thinking about? What were the conversations like about this whole business of faith? And so then I, I just started to imagine, I, you know, one thing, let me remind you, Jesus did not have the New Testament like we do. <laughs> He didn't have these stories that we're just talking about. These were the stories. They were creating these stories. All he had was the Old Testament. All he had was the stories that we're familiar with, you know, like Noah and Moses and Abraham. And so I started thinking, okay, let's go back to that place. What was the the foundation of the faith in a Jew's mind? Would it not be Abraham? He was the father of their faith. And let's just recount Abraham. Abraham. Okay, Abraham was a guy that was called out from a country. We, we know it today as Iraq. It's down in the area of Baghdad between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. It's a place called Ur of the Chaldees. That's where he lived. And, and God intercepts him and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go to a new, new country. And, uh, and there, there we're going we're gonna to start over. And he said, well, where are we going? He says, I'll let you know when we get there. How would you like that? Would that take some faith? To leave all your family, all your wealth, all all the things that were secure, and to pick up and just go. And he traveled up around the region and around the route that would go down up around the north and then down through Damascus, and then he got into this country and the area of Bethel, which, which is right in the heart of Israel, and then God said, this is it. Now, it was occupied by other people, but he said, this is gonna be your land. This is your promised land. All right, that'd take some faith, right? Secondly, Abraham, you know what? I'm gonna start a nation out of you. Now you're, you're 75 years old, and he tells you this, and your wife has been barren for all these years, never, never bear a child. And he said, Lord, how's that, how's that gonna be? And he says, that's my promise to you. Okay, a few years go by to where now he's 100 years old, all right? Uh, Sarah, Sarah still hasn't born a child, and of course, you know the story. Eventually, she gives birth to the miracle baby. His name is Isaac, and he's the promised child, okay? That took some faith, didn't it? Now, the third one, now God comes and says, take that miracle baby and to a place I'm gonna tell you and sacrifice him to me. And it wasn't just like a, across the street. Beersheba was probably 60 miles from Mount Moriah, so he traveled with his son, his miracle son that he loved so much, all the way up to this mountain, which by the way, is most likely where the temple, literally the spot where the temple was erected, and not far from the point where Jesus Christ died on the cross, many hundreds of years later. That place he gets there to sacrifice by faith, and God, in the last minute, provides a ram instead of uh, Isaac. That's, that's, that's their world, guys. That's the foundation of these disciples of, of the content. So when Jesus would call you little faith, probably in their immediate thinking, they're, they're measuring or comparing themselves to Abraham because that's who they're aspiring up to this point kind of to be like, okay? So Abraham would be a foundation. Now in the mind of a first century disciple, probably as much or maybe even a little more than Abraham, it would be Moses. Moses was the guy. Everything about what Moses did, 
You know, that, that was the story of, of the power of God, of the mightiness of God, and, and they, would, they looked at Moses. And so let's ask, would you call Moses a man of faith? And think about what you know about him. Maybe some of you are here today and you don't know a lot about the Bible. That's, that's great, I'm glad you're here. And I, I don't want to, to you know, throw things at you that you're uncomfortable or don't, aren't aware of, but Moses is a pretty well-known guy. And we know that he delivered the, the, Egypt, uh, uh, the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians. We call it the Exodus. They come to the Red Sea. The army's bearing down on them. He believes God to open up the Red Sea that they walk across. That'd be pretty amazing, right? We can all agree. They get to the other side, and now they're gonna start their new journey to become the people of God that's on their way to the promised land. Now, I, I share this because I ask myself the question, I'm, I'm one of those disciples, Peter, James, Andrew, you know, I'm one of those guys and I'm, I'm watching Jesus, but these stories are going around and around in my mind. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm supposed to grow in my faith. I know Abraham, what kind of faith did, did Moses have? And those are pretty amazing things to believe in for those big miracles. But one that sets out to me, let me let's see if you agree with me. Most of you here today know what it's like to, to try to exercise your faith in Christ in moments when you're not really sure what God's will is, what he's, what he's gonna do. You're going through life, something happens, you, you're not sure how it's gonna turn out, and you say, oh Lord, I don't know what to do, I, I'm trusting in you, and I'm, I'm trying to exercise my faith to believe in you for this, whatever it is, a relationship, or, or physically, or, or financially, whatever. But let me ask you this, how much faith would it take if God revealed his will to you? You knew that this is what he was gonna do or wanted to do, and the faith it would take to ask God not to do that, to do something different than what he's already decided that he's going to do. How much faith would that take? That's exactly what happened with Moses. That's why, to me, that kind of set, sets itself in a whole other category. I thought, have I ever even thought about that or would I ever attempt to do that? God had decided he was gonna destroy these people. <laughs> I mean, just weeks after they'd seen the Red Sea parted, they are building a golden calf and worshiping you know, something and, and whining to go back to Egypt. I mean, that's the people he was dealing with and he says, I've had it, I've had it with them. I'm gonna just wipe these guys out. And uh, Moses starts pleading to God on, on their behalf. Listen, listen to his words. I just kind of hit a highlight here. But in Exodus 32, Moses implored the Lord as his God, or the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He goes on and on and he's, he's interceding for these people and then finally what happens? The Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. How would you like that kind of power with God? The kind of faith that it takes to believe that he would do something in response you know, to, to your prayer. <laughs> and I see that and I think, where did that faith come from? You think he got it from his parents or you know, from his adopted parents? Of course not, he grew up in Pharaoh's courtyard, right? Uh, where did he get that? 
So I started asking, and I saw this, and I'm looking at chapter 32 and 33, and I'm, I, I know I'm gonna have to get, get a little tighter on this just to, to hit the highlights, so I encourage you to go read it for yourself, all right? But I hit a few highlights. Of, where did the faith come from? So if you're desiring today to grow in greater faith, if you're one of those disciples and you say, Lord, I don't wanna displease you. I don't wanna be nicknamed little faith. I want greater faith. How do you get that? And if I was learning from Moses, like these guys probably were learning, here's what I would pick up, three things. First of all, Moses spent time alone with God, and a lot of it. Time alone with God. He went there. He had his, his favorite places. In fact, uh, one of the places that was a special place, it said he used to take the tent and he'd pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. <laughs> the tent of meeting. Do you have a place like that? You know, think, think about, is there a place where you go to meet? The Lord said, man, go to your hiding place. Go to your secret closet. Just get alone with God. He had an intimacy. He had a relationship with God that was, was pretty separated because it says that he talked to him face to face. He would go into that tent of meeting and sometimes he had s- such an encounter with the presence of God that his glory would kind of, kind of rub off on, on uh, Moses and he'd walk out and there'd be a glow about him because he'd been in the presence of God. I've never been accused of that personally, but, uh, but I don't know if you've ever noticed somebody that they, they, you just can sense the vibe. They, they have been in the presence of God. And that was Moses. He had an intimate relationship. And because of that, his faith, his faith just grew. Now I want to add one more little point here. Because I've, I watched in verse 13 of that same chapter 32 when he'd go to meet with God. One of the things that he would do is that, that he would worship God in these times. He would he would talk to God. Verse 11 through 13, he talks about the wonderful things that he's done. He talks about his majesty. He talks about his goodness. He talks about his faithfulness. He recounts, and we call that worship. We can call that praise, but that's an important part of your time alone with God. It's not just go knocking on the door and plowing in there and saying, God, this is what I need from you. Oh, God, help me. You, you start with hallowing the name of the Lord in your prayer time. And I read this quote, and I don't know to, to attribute it to, uh, but somebody once wrote that, that heaviness, uh, you know, the heaviness is lifted on the wings of praise. Heaviness is lifted on the wings of praise. I've been flying a lot lately. And, you know, one of those moments that, that kind of sets out to me is when you're barreling down the runway getting ready to take off, and all of a sudden you just kind of kind of can feel this, and there's just that instant when you know, wow, we're airborne. And, and you're on those wings, and you just feel like I've just been lifted up. And you think, this plane weighs tens of thousands of pounds or whatever, and you're thinking, how in the world can something so heavy be lifted up? And that, that, that image just is stuck in me that the the heaviness of the spirit is lifted on the wings of praise. Give it a try if you haven't done it. Maybe you came in today with a heavy heart. 
Moses spent time alone with God, and much of that time was worshiping him. Here's the second thing I noticed. And I'll say time with the Word of God, and and your first thinking might be, well, wait a minute, Moses didn't have a Bible. (laughs) Moses didn't have the Word of God, but you know what? In fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? But Moses did know the Word of God. He knew the stories. How do we know that? Look at verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servant, to whom you swore by your own self. And he said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all of this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, that they shall inherit it forever. Why is he recounting that? He knew the word. He knew the stories, see? And what he's doing in his prayer when he's pleading with God, the power with God, he's recounting, that's a promise of God, isn't it? He's, he's reviewing the promise that God's already made. And friends, that's one of the things that's a faith builder is the word of God. Because when you know what he said, then you bring that before him and say, Lord, this is what your word says. And that's what I'm trusting you for. That's why I believe that you're gonna work in a powerful way. So like, for example, here at North Shore, when somebody's sick or, or ill, there's a scripture in James chapter five and it says, is anyone sick among you? Call the elders of the church. Have them lay hands upon you, anointing you with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And so we practice that because that's what the word says. There's over 7,000 promises in that Bible of yours. And as you know those and you can recount those and you can even pray those to the Father, you're gonna find it's gonna build your faith because he's already said it. He put it down there in his timeless word. And so we stand on that. And Moses, that's exactly what he's doing. He's standing on the promise, standing on the word of God. And so I encourage, encourage us, spend the time in the word. The last thing I would just mention is how important other people were, even in Moses' life. What I would say is, we need to value and spend time with the church, with the other people of God. That's the people that are around you right now. And when we come together in this setting each week, there is something profound that happens here. It may be so subtle you don't even notice it, but you look around the room and you see other people that are listening and you can look on their faces sometimes and even detect there's a heart desire to do what this word is saying. I see it in your faces. And, and, and it's just like Jesus said, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. And a lot of that is because you come with that hunger, each other, but you encourage one another. This is not just about what you're gonna get out of this. You're giving something to the people around you and they need you and you need them. Moses tried to do it all by himself, didn't he? Do you remember when his father-in-law came and he was sitting on a chair and, and judging all day long? He said, what do you think you're doing? He says, you're gonna burn yourself out, but you're also gonna burn these people out because you're trying to do it all yourself. You need these others and you need to endow them and, and, and bless them and anoint them so that they can be multiplied. He had a disciple, his name was Joshua. And, and when it came time to transfer and hand off, Joshua was prepared. Friends, it matters the people that you are hanging with. And if you're around people that, uh, that, that, are, that are faith dousers, you know, somebody once said, you can't soar with the eagles if you run with the turkeys, you know? And that's true, isn't it? Some of us have a whole world full of turkeys, man. 
and, and you're expecting your faith to grow. It's not gonna happen. You wanna be around like-minded people. That's why we have life groups, because this is one setting, the big community like this, but you need to be in settings where you get to know one another, they get to know you, and you're really living out honestly, transparently, the realities of this journey of life, okay? If you're not in a group, friends, I, we, we implore you, this is so, so critical to growing in your faith and, and becoming a disciple of Christ and then eventually to make disciples. So being around one another, encouraging one another, the Bible says the iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? And so we need each other, and I think Moses needed that. So those are the three things that I, I just want to kind of leave you with. Our, our worship team's going to come up in just a moment and lead us in a closing song and hopefully uh, just affirm these things before the Lord. But there's one last thing I, I re- really wanted to pass on that I just noticed, and this was kind of late in my preparation for this weekend. The whole subject today has been about follow me to greater faith. And uh, there's one place, one place in Scripture that I read about where the disciples came to Jesus and said, increase our faith. Only one place I found. Increase our faith. And so you know, the way I think, the way I'm wired up, I'm saying, what was it that prompted them to make that plea, that cry? And you know what the context was? Jesus had just told them, if your brother sins against you, you forgive him. And if your brother sins against you seven times, then you forgive him seven times. And the very next word is, oh Lord, increase our faith. And that really struck me. Now I don't know today, if I was asked, what area do you need greater faith? Much of what we've talked about today is is the big, amazing, miraculous, impossible, you know, faith for that. Maybe that's what you've been wrapping yourself around. But I want to tell you, there's a very good chance that the greater challenge may be a relationship that's gone south. And you know it. And you don't want to go there. Because it's hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. (laughs) Because it's just not in your heart to, to love or forgive because the hurt is so, so deep. And I just know that that's one of the enemy's number one agendas. That's how he trips more believers up than anything else is offenses that have been unforgiven. Lord, increase our faith. Where do you need that faith today? What challenges is it that the Lord's placed right in front of you that you need to trust him for? There's a very good chance that there may be a few of you in the room right now that were invited or you've just been kind of checking things out lately and, and in your heart of hearts you're saying, Pastor, you know what? I'm not, I'm not really even sure I'm a Christian. I'm not even sure I know what that means or, or how to become one. And when you're talking about this thing of faith, I, I guess I should go back to the beginning. Do I really believe in God and do I believe, do I believe what God says? Some of you say, well, I believe in God. Do you know the Bible says the devil believes in God and trembles? So it's not just acknowledging that he exists. There's something that's got to be more. And the faith that saves you, that's the saving faith that the whole thing starts from. And it's simply coming to the realization 
that I am not good enough to please God with my efforts, my energies, my good works, whatever I'm going to offer. So here's the reality. Someday we're all going to stand before him. The Bible said every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There'll be a day when every one of us here will be before God Almighty. And if you're standing there on your own merit, thinking, well, I tried. I tried to be good enough. I tried to obey, you know, what he was. Okay, that's not, that's not going to cut it. The only thing that will last there is what Jesus inside of you brings. And the only way that's going to happen is if you open the door of your heart by faith and invite Jesus to come in there so that Jesus will be what God sees when you stand before him. He's the only satisfaction to the penalty of sin. Does that make sense? And if you're trusting in anything other than what Jesus did, friends, you're on a very perilous uh, foundation. And so maybe today the faith that you need to exercise is in what Jesus did. We can do that. We can say that to him. We can talk to him about that. And so uh, listen to what God speaks. Let's stand together, and we will do just that. Let's pray and talk to him and, uh, and just ask him uh, to, to hear our cry this morning. Lord, uh, as we as your people stand before you, there are things today that we've seen, maybe that we haven't quite fully appreciated or understood up to this point. And the one thing that really stands out to me first and foremost is a brother or a sister that, that you've brought to this place to hear these words at this hour so that they could know that apart from you, there is no forgiveness of sin, that we're going to stand on our own merit. God, there's a person in the room right now, I just believe this, that you brought them for that very purpose today to say in their heart of hearts, and you may not even know what to say, but maybe along these lines and say, Lord, today I come to you and admit to you that I need your son Jesus in my life. Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you come in my heart to live there? I'm opening the door for that. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead and that now you live and I'm trusting you today for my salvation in Jesus' name. And Father, I just trust that in the days and the weeks ahead that the assurance of their salvation will come because they are a child of God. You're going to give them your, your own spirit. They're going to begin to see a miracle of miracles take place and a transformation. For those of us, God, that have known that walk and that relationship, we want greater faith. And maybe one of these things has struck us, struck us that we need to commit to more time with you, more time alone with you, more time in your word. Maybe, Lord, there's some steps practical that we need to take to get involved, to get connected with other believers, to get into uh, maybe a life group or, uh, or just to make a, a, a renewed commitment to surrender to you. Whatever it is, Lord, would you speak to our hearts and may we be obedient. Had, had Abraham never left his country, it didn't matter what you said to him, he had to obey, trust and obey you. Uh, for that to come to fruition. So today, Lord, whatever it is you speak, may we obey. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we can help you in any way, uh, let us know. And, and can I just say one thing? If you trusted Christ today, if you prayed that prayer in your heart of hearts and wanted to invite Christ into your heart, tell somebody about it, okay? S tell somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. 
It's real, real important that you outwardly declare that, and then we can begin to talk about even baptism, which is that outward declaration that he's prescribed for us. But tell somebody, let us know. I'll be around. We got other pastors back in the back. So uh, whatever we can do to come alongside, let us know how we can help you, okay? Let's sing these words together.